his servant, going to get a wife for Isaac. And what we will notice as we read this story, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to read a good section of it. And that is that prayer is a driving force in this story, specifically, specific prayer. Not just something general like, help us to find a good woman for him. But no, they ask very specific requests uh, before God and uh, to one another with God's uh, sort of guidance. They ask for very specific things. And I think that we should do that as well. And we'll talk about that more as we read the story. So let's start with the first four verses. So Genesis 24 says, Now Abraham was old. Well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So Abraham is getting old. Uh, Sarah is already dead at this point, which makes Abraham at least 137. So he's getting up there, and he's worried that his son is not going to have a wife. And so he talks to his oldest servant, literally puts his future in his hands, and he says, go get my son a wife. But not just any wife. I need her to be a member of my own family. So don't get her a Canaanite, but go back to where I'm from. And get her, get my son a wife from my kindred. Now, in verses 5 through 9, we get some of the response to that. Verse 9, it says, The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of hosts, who took me from my father's house... And from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from, my, free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham's master and swore to him concerning this matter. So Abraham... Uh, tells his servant, go get my son a wife from my kinspeople. And he says, okay, but what if she doesn't want to come back? Then do I, do I take Isaac there? And he says, absolutely not. Do not do that. He says, God, the very God that took me from my homeland and brought me out here, he will send his angel before you to make this mission a success. But then he says, but if he doesn't, then you're free from this oath. And so he takes the oath to go get a son. And so we see that Abraham has extreme confidence that this is going to work. But also at the same time, he's not presumptuous. Uh, even though he has great confidence that God is going to make this work, he, he thinks, you know what? It's possible that maybe it won't. And in that case, then let God be God and uh, the servant is free. But he has confidence that the angel will make this prosper. So the servant goes. He makes this long journey, several weeks, maybe months even, back to where Abraham is from. We pick up in verse 10. It says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, 
And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nacor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jug on her shoulder. A young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little drink, uh, give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So we find this man, he makes this journey, he gets to the place that he is going, and he goes to the place where you meet women in the ancient world. It's the well, it's where you meet, where Rebecca and uh, also Jacob is going to meet his wife also at a well. So, if you're ever transported back in time, you're trying to find a lady, now you know. So, he goes to the well, and there he prays, not something vague, but God helped me to find a woman for Isaac, and this is how, this is the sign. Let her be the one that I ask her for a drink of water, and she offers to water the camels too. Now, this is not the sort of thing that any normal person would do. Camels, as I'm sure you know, can drink a lot of water. And so, for her to be this hospitable is excessive in a lot of ways, and so it would be unlikely that this would be something that would just sort of randomly happen. And, of course, as you know, he's also looking not just for this specific sign, but also for a daughter of uh, Abraham's kindred. And as he, right as he finishes praying, or even before then, so we know that God has been sending this woman all along. Uh, as he finishes praying, this woman shows up. And she does exactly what he prayed that God would, would show him. And so he's astonished. He's, he's staring at her in, in silence in verse 21, wondering, has God prospered this journey? Like, is this, is this, wow. So then we get the story to finish up in verses 22 through 28. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arm, weighing ten gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have both straw and fodder and a room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way uh, to the house of my master's kinsman. 
Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all these things. So, in addition to her fulfilling exactly the thing that Abraham's servant prayed that she would do, he asks, whose daughter are you? And she fulfills that requirement as well. And so the servant is very excited. He gives her the stuff. She says, you can come stay at my house. He prays and thanks God for fulfilling the request. And I'll summarize the rest of the story. He goes, he meets Laban, who becomes an important character later on in Genesis. Uh, and he basically tells the entire story again. And then Laban is like, well, I don't know. Maybe you can't take her yet. And so he's like, no, my, my master is it's an urgent requirement. And so they argue back and forth. And they say, well, we'll just ask her. So Rebecca's like, all right, we'll go. And so they go. And then they, then they get back to, to Abraham's homeland. They meet Isaac. It's a, a great success. And uh, the story ends in... Big thumbs up. So, that's Genesis 24. And as I said, prayer is a driving force in this story. And specifically, prayer for not just vague generalities, but very specific things. And I like this about this story because I think we have a tendency not to pray in this way. Not to want to presume on God. Not to ask for really specific things because... What if God doesn't come through on exactly what we asked? Well, well, then that would leave us in kind of a tricky predicament. But Abraham and Abraham's servant do not share this fear. They are confident that God is both willing and capable of fulfilling whatever they ask of him. And so Abraham, although it's not a specific prayer, tells his servant to get a wife from his kinsmen, and he says that God is going to prosper the journey. And then Abraham's servant prays specifically that this woman would come and offer him water and offer to water the camels, and she comes and does that. And so that teaches me, along with, we'll look at some other Bible stories as well, that it's important for us to pray for specific things. Because often in my life, like I think it would have been easy for them, as I said earlier, to say, you know what, God, just give me a a, a good woman for Isaac, or just, I I want a a pretty one. And, like, if if you pray for these really general things, you're setting a pretty low bar for God to fulfill. And, I mean, we all know that both beauty and goodness are pretty subjective standards. And so we can kind of convince ourselves that even if God doesn't come through, that, oh, you know, this, this person here really was the fulfillment all along. But no, there is, there's no question in this story. She either is or is not Abraham's family. She either is or is not a woman who comes and offers water to the servant and to the camels. That they're asking for very specific, demonstrable things. And I think it's valuable for us to pray, not all the time like this, but from time to time with very specific requests to God. Because I think praying like this is incredibly faith-building. And, as I said earlier, prayer is difficult sometimes because we don't see a payoff. We don't see it being fulfilled. And that has to be true, because there are a lot of things that we're praying for that are long-term, that are big. But there are certain things that we can be praying for, that we're praying for now. Praying for, uh, that we could be praying specific things about. And I think that would be an excellent choice for us to make, 
and build our faith. I'm going to show you a few more stories where we see this happening. It's not just Abraham and his servant. Uh, and then, after that, uh, I'm going to share a few personal examples. And then, if there's time, we might do something a little bit unorthodox. So, turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges 6. This is the story of Gideon. And God appears to Gideon and tells him that Gideon is going to defeat the Midianites who are oppressing the land of Israel. And Gideon is an amazing guy. He does a lot of, of, of really wonderful things for God, but he's also just a little bit timid. Like when we meet Gideon, he's uh, treading out, uh, he's like hiding while he's treading out the grain or the, the olives. But when we get to this story in verse 36, uh, God has told Gideon that he is going to use Gideon's hand to rescue them from the Midianites. And Gideon isn't really sure. So he asks God, can you just con confirm this for me? So in verse 36 of Judges 6, it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and if it's dry on the ground, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just one more. Uh, please, let me just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that, so that, uh, God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. So we see... Gideon prays to God for a very specific sign uh, in, a, uh, not faith, uh, in, a, in a faithful sort of way. He puts God to the test. He says, God, if, if your word is really true, if, I, if you really are going to use me, then please do this thing which makes no sense on a scientific basis. Like It's going to be a miracle if this happens so that I will know that your word to me is true and God does it. Both ways. The ground is dry, the fleece is wet, the fleece is wet, and the ground is... God, God fulfills Gideon's request twice. And Gideon needed to do this because he needed to have that confidence that what God was telling him was really true. And so he asked God for something very specific, and God did it for him. So Gideon then had the confidence, the renewed faith, to go out and do what God was asking him to do. Let me show you one more example. This is in the book of Daniel. Daniel, as we know, uh, was captured by the Babylonians, and they brought him to uh, Chaldea, and they were training him in all kinds of the ways of the Chaldeans, and they wanted to set him on this great kingly diet. But Daniel, in an attempt to sort of differentiate himself from the regular people and to give himself an opportunity to work out a space in his life to let God work and to be provided for by God and not by the king. Daniel makes an interesting decision. So we're going to read Daniel, eight, uh, Daniel 1, verses 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So Daniel sets out a task. And again, we don't see this specifically as a prayer, but it's obviously a petition on God's power. That Daniel is calling on God to perform a miracle in his own life. That Daniel is going to eat the kind of food that would not make you fatter and healthier. And yet, that is specifically the outcome that Daniel wants. And so Daniel is going to attempt something that should not work, trusting God that God is going to make it work. And at the end of 10 days, it is so. And Daniel and his friends are fatter and healthier and in better appearance than all the other people because Daniel trusted that God was going to make it work, uh, even though it shouldn't have. And so Daniel makes this specific test with demonstrable results so that he could see the working out of this in his own life. So, we got two examples, Gideon and Daniel, and there are others, uh, but those two uh, prove it well enough. That there are times in our life where we need to be asking God for very specific things so that we can see his providence working out in our lives. Now, I want to say, as we uh, go back to Genesis 24, that, of course, Abraham leaves room for God to say, no, I'm not going to do that. As, as we noted in verse 7 of Genesis 24, Abraham is confident that God would send his angel before him and take a wife for my son from there. But, in verse 8, if the woman is not willing to follow you, follow you then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back. So, Abraham understands that God is free to say no when Abraham makes this very specific request that his servant be able to find a woman from his kinsman. But that doesn't stop Abraham from asking for it. And I think that this is a valuable caveat that we need to make as we're discussing this. That sometimes there are going to be things that seem good to us, and we don't understand why God would not want to give it to us. And so we ask, and the answer is no. And in those times, those don't need to be times where we you know, throw up our hands and say, well, I guess my faith is, is invalid entirely. No, God has the right to say no. I mean, you can think about uh, the story of David, for example. David wanted to build a temple for God. And Nathan was like, that sounds like a great idea. And God says, no, do not do that. I, I have another plan, and this is not the plan. And I'm sure that Abraham asked many times for a son before he had Isaac, as we can see from the insistence at which he uh, you know, goes to Hagar to try and have a son. Like, Abraham wanted a child, and yet God was waiting. 
And so there are going to be times, even in Abraham's own life, we see this, where we think something should be good and that God should answer our request, and yet the answer is no or not now. And that we need to be okay with that. But at the same time, it's, it's vital that we have these times where we make specific petitions to God. And so if we have Abraham, we have Abraham's servant, we've got Daniel, we've got Gideon, then why is it that sometimes when we know people who are sick, we're praying something like, God, please put your healing hand on him, instead of something more specific, like, God, you know, they've been in that hospital bed for like three days now, and uh, some, some sun would do them good, just give them the strength today to go on a little walk, to get out, to see the sunshine, like, these specific things, why is it that we're afraid to ask for that? Because that, that's what I think it is. At least in my own life. My, the reason I don't pray specifically all the time, or uh, the, and the times where I feel like it would be appropriate, is not because I don't want to presume on God. I think it's really because uh, I don't think God cares enough about my prayers to answer them. I think that's really the root of, of my my problem here and why I don't pray specifically when I feel like I should. And that is because, you know, I want to be able to pray to God in such a way that, you know, maybe it's, it's such a, a low bar that even if something random were to happen, you know, say uh, the, the natural consequences of their health take over, that I'd be like, oh, you know, that was, that, that was an answer to prayer. Instead of having the confidence to ask God to do something that is not going to happen randomly. You know, to, ha to have energy like that, that's something powerful. That's something that, that defies the normal course of health. And yet, we understand that God is capable of doing that. So why do we shrink back in times like that? It's because I think we're afraid that either God can't or God won't because God doesn't want to listen to us. And yet, we are told time and time again that if we ask with confidence that God does answer the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And so we got to have that confidence to pray to God with specificity. I told you I'd give you some personal examples. So here's two. Uh, it was on the, the plane ride to the Czech Republic. This uh, sermon comes from a class that I did while I was over there. Uh, and so I had been studying the notes about praying specifically. And as we are uh, flying, it's probably like 3 a.m., and the lights are out. Everyone is trying to go to sleep. I'm trying to go to sleep. The only person who is not trying to go to sleep is a screaming child, like 12 feet from me, yelling constantly. And, and I'm, at 3 a.m., I, I, I have to admit, I thought some very unchristlike thoughts about that child. Anyway, it was, it was not good. But at some point, it kind of clicked with me that there, that here's this concept about praying specifically. And I was like, this is, this is really trivial. Because, I mean, it's, it's not as if, like, this is, this is cancer or anything. Like, this is just a child that's annoying me. Uh, and I, I, in that moment, I, I mean, I feel for, for all of you people who, that's not one night of your life. That's like your whole life. I, I don't know how you do it. But... Anyway, so there I was, thinking about specific prayer, thinking about how I could not sleep because this child was screaming constantly for hours. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So I started praying. And I was like, God, I cannot sleep. And I really need to sleep so that I can, I can be fresh for tomorrow to see our friends in Czech Republic. And this child 
is so loud. <laughs> and I really, really, really want to sleep. And also, like, here's this mom. And I, I know that if I'm upset, I know that there are a lot of other people who are upset at this child, at this mom. And it's, I mean, it's an eight-hour overseas flight. This child is tiny. It, this is going to happen. So please, like, give this mom some peace. Help the people not to think mean things about her. And like I said, I, this is kind of trivial, and so I, I did not really expect for God to give me an answer. But I kid you not, within 10 seconds of my amen, that kid stopped screaming for the rest of the flight. Now, I don't know, you call that chance, but I, I'm telling you, it was amazing. i give you another example. So, uh, I, I, I started trying to pray more specifically about six months ago. But before that, uh, as I'm sure you all know, uh, Leah, who is a teacher, was having some really rough uh, times in school. Like, it was, it was crazy. And this year is going a lot better, uh, in case you were wondering. Still hard, but like a normal amount of hard. And uh, so we were praying basically every day that she would have patience, wisdom, and strength to overcome the challenges of the day. Uh, but I started to think about praying specifically and having the confidence that God is going to answer my prayers. And so uh, I started praying from time to time, not all the time, uh, that God would put it, uh, put it in a child's heart uh, to, to really want to help uh, and to, to listen and to show Leah that it's worth it and that you know, to, to hug her or to tell her that she's a great teacher or something, that today there will be a reminder that it's worth it. And I have prayed that several times, and several times she has come home and like, Brett, the craziest thing happened to me today. And I'm just telling you, I, I am confident that God answers prayers. And so here we have a very basic story, a very basic idea, simple. We should be praying specifically, and we don't need to do this all the time. There are certain things, uh, purity, holiness, that don't lend themselves to a, a one-day thing. But... When there are things like that, large things, scary things that are huge and imposing, then we need to have these small things, these day-to-day -day things that remind us that God answers our prayers. And so I want you guys to try uh, in your own prayer time. We don't have time to do it. That's what we're going to do this morning, but I, I talked for too long. But anyway, uh, to, to switch out some of your more generalities for something specific. And again, you don't have to do this all the time, but from time to time. Try and pray more specifically. Instead of, you know, help them to get better, pray, you know, help them to have the energy today to get up and to, to work a full day of work without, you know, having to get tired or, or something like that. Uh, pray instead of, you know, God, help me yeah, to, to find a job generally. Like, put me in contact with someone this week who is gonna, who's going to help me to, to get a job. Or, you know, if, if we're worried about the relationships that we have, to pray, you know, God, help me to meet somebody who is going to encourage me to grow in my relationship with God. Like, we need to be having the confidence in our lives to pray for these specific things. And if we do, I think we are going to see a dramatic improvement in our prayer lives, because not only are we going to be able to see specific times where God has answered our prayers, but also it's going to give us the confidence in larger things to pray for those things that we can't see from day to day, that take months, years to see, because we know that God answers prayers, because God answers prayers specifically. Thank you so much for your time. Now be dismissed in class.